so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 85 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we have to talk about really unpleasant things, and I'm going to try to be nice about it today because we have an awesome guest. I'm Karen Peterson, and I am joined, as always, by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. We have a very special guest, like I just mentioned. This is Jazz Tenke from Awards Daily. Hi. I'm so excited to join you, so thank you for having me. We are thrilled to have you. Um, just a reminder for our listeners, Kristen is still on her break going out to find love in the form of army hammer or something i don't know i'm not sure who she's searching for this week but um i can tell you a list of who it's not but anyway um <laughs> jazz why don't you tell our friends a little bit about yourself oh lord okay um uh oh my god i need the co- the coffee to sink in okay so as you can tell i'm british but um i've been living in la for i guess i'm coming up to five years this october um and I started writing for Awards Daily when I saw a tweet that Sasha sent out. Um, and it was kind of like a dream come true because I've always loved film. Um, one of my first films that I watched was like, uh, Kramer. one of the first films I got obsessed with was Kramer versus Kramer. And if you follow me on Twitter or anywhere, you'll know how obsessed I am with Meryl Streep. Um, and uh yeah i think i guess that's it i don't know <laughs> well that's good that, that works so it's funny um i met jazz in the lobby of netflix we were there for a movie screening and just got to talking and i mean you guys she's amazing she's so awesome um she knows everybody like we go to events and she'll just walk around like oh have you met this person i'm like no nobody cares who i am but they're like jazz and they love her and we're not just talking like other writers we're talking rob marshall like she knows everybody in town it's crazy and and it's because she's just so lovely so thank you for joining us thank you for having me so all right so um just a couple of housekeeping reminders Um, We do have our What's in the Bag contest still going on. It's just a few more weeks. Just retweet our tweet and tell us what you think is in the bag. It could be lots of things. It could be my... um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head because I just woke up. It's it's still really early. Um, It's my self-respect. Let's face it. That's what's in the bag. (laughs) It's my respect for a whole lot of people from this week. (laughs) That's what's in the bag. Um, Yeah. So guess what it is. Tell us what you think. That contest is going through the end of August. So let's keep that going. And, uh, of course, just a reminder and thank you to everyone who does support us on Patreon and helps us keep the lights on. Your support really does mean a lot to us, and if you would like to support the show, we are patreon.com slash citizendame. So, let's get into it. Um, (laughs) 
there's been some weird stuff this week. I like don't even know where to start. It's been um it's been a little crazy. We're having that whole like um art versus entertainment and film thing and people suddenly having really weird opinions about who is a good artist. Uh I knew that things were going really off the rails when people started attacking Martin Scorsese and Selma <laughs> Like, what the hell was that? Oh, my God. I mean, at least, you know, give give film Twitter credit. Most people reacted with just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. like that was the primary reaction. So I, I give them credit for that. But Jesus. Yeah. It's like, yes, that, these are the people to rip on. Definitely Thelma Schoonmaker. I mean, you know, you should totally take her to task. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not even stuff. sure. Yeah, I'm not even sure exactly where that started. But the tweet that I saw was like, he needs to find an editor with gravitas that he respects to help him trim the yeah. fat. And I'm yes. like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he respects the woman he's been working with closely for 40 years and who has won three Oscars working with him. I'm pretty sure there's some respect going on there. Oh my gosh, that was the tweet that sent me trying to find how. Uh, hell began because I was like what twilight zone is this <laughs> uh, so let's just take a moment and talk about some of the great work that they've done together shall we <laughs> jazz I know you're a big Scorsese fan I am yes um I, I honestly don't even know uh where to begin with that because uh let's see Oh my god, it's it's my brain isn't on. But what are some of the? Give me some of the names they've done, the films they've done together. And I'll. Do yeah. they do? Taxi Driver. Yeah. Taxi Driver. Okay. Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Hugo, even. Which I have different feelings about that, but you know, whatever, that's fine. Because um, yeah, you know, she, Fear, like basically, she's his editor. Right. Yeah, she edit, she's edited most of his films pretty much from the start of his career. Mm-hmm. Right. So they have the thing with editors and directors, and if you've spoken to them, you know the language. And they, they're they on the same page. They have this language. And it's, I mean, they get each other. They've been working together for what? When did that come out? Over 50, yeah, they're, yeah, 50 years? Yeah, their first film together was... I'm, I think it's Raging Bull, it looks like. Raging Bull, maybe? Or yeah. maybe even further back. I think they did Who's Who's That Knocking at the Door. I oh, think yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that did. was their first movie, right? Yeah, because for, for a while there, she was not a member of the Editor's Guild. Mm-hmm. And right. so she actually could not get credit. Like, he advocated oh. for her to get credit. So she, she could actually not get credit on some of his films, even though she edited them. Oh, wow. There but, you go. I mean, their collaborations have been you know, beyond epic. And so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, they understand. She's also a female editor, which is, and they've been working together, you know, for over 50 years. And I think that was something that very few directors did back then, if I, you know. Um, And so, I don't know. They've just, they just have this great sense of like, you know, you're watching a Scorsese film, Thelma's uh, edited it, and I don't know. It's just this great, great um, language they have. Um, One of the things that also yeah. just kind of bugged me about that insinuation that like she's helping him trim his movies is, I, I don't like this assumption that movies are not edited well if they're over a certain runtime because oh 
I odd. think that, I mean, yeah, I like when a movie can, can be very concise and compact and can fit within a certain time frame, but that's not always reasonable to tell the story that you want to tell. There are some really great movies that are two and a half, three hours long, and so to have this arbitrary, like, oh, if it's over two hours, then you don't know what you're doing, is so ridiculous, and, and to suggest that she's part of the problem and the, like, silence should have been shorter or the Wolf of Wall Street was too long. And then I think I saw someone complain about the the scene, which is the one scene of Wolf of Wall Street that is my yeah. very favorite, where he's high on, on quaaludes and trying to get into his car. And she's like, yeah, that scene was ridiculous. It needed to be cut. Like, what the hell? That was the best scene of the movie. So, yeah. I, I it is this armchair editing. Yes. It's it's like, and, and I, I do agree that Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street in particular, I think, is over long. But I don't know where you can put the blame for that. And you certainly can't say, like, oh, he needs an editor that he respects. It's just like, no, obviously they work together. Mm-hmm. And they and they form something that is something that they both want. And I'm, and I'm certain that there have been times when she said to him, we need to cut this down, we need to cut this out. And he said, no, I really want it in. And, and vice versa. And I'm certain that that's happened before. But to just have this like basic analysis of just like, oh, he doesn't respect her. It's like, that's bullshit. Like, do you not know your film history? Yeah, exactly. Well, also it's like, why are they blaming the woman? I I mean, you know, I think at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's like, let's find, let's just randomly pick on Thelma this morning (laughs) and say it's her fault that his films are too long. And, Surely the director has the final say at the end, right? Of course. It, yeah, especially it, him. But I don't know. It just it just baffles it just baffles me <laughs> that they would tear up her craft and her being one of the best in the field. Yeah, I actually found myself at first wondering if they even were aware that it was a woman who did it, because because of the fact that even now female editors are still so rare. I mean, yeah. I get to interview craftspeople a lot, and you do too, and most of the editors we talk to are men still, so it's like, mm-hmm. the fact that she's been doing this for so long, I think I think part of it was just a total lack of realization that you're tearing down a woman's work, and also one of the best in the business, regardless of the fact that, you know, regardless of gender, she's just one of the best, so... Yeah. Well, okay. And I think I think all I was just gonna say I think that all of that started initially because someone tweeted about um, how it was like Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Tarantino were were white guy white nerd directors. Oh right? yeah. They were the ones that white nerds love, which is true. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's not false. I always balk at lumping Scorsese and Kubrick in, in with Tarantino, but that's my own feeling. But then it sort of spiraled outward from that of just like we're going to we're going to just say that the only people that are fans of these particular directors are, you know, white male nerds, which isn't true. I mean, and, and does ignore the female fans and the, the people of color and like all of the other many people who enjoy these sorts of films for various reasons, you know? Right. Oh, and now I remember. Yeah. That's also, that wasn't his main point. I think it was Iroh started that. Um, yeah. His point was these are, these are movies that, um, that 
these nerd fanboys love. And but he doesn't he doesn't exclude anybody else and say these are movies that only these white nerds love. But it's like I know, I mean we've all been there where so many guys were like, What, you haven't seen Fight Club? What you don't love Fight Club is not your favorite movie? It's like I'm allowed to like other movies too. It's like that kind of culture. There's lots of yeah. us that, that like Raging Bull or like Goodfellas or, you know, appreciate pulp fiction, but it doesn't have to be like the best movie ever, or we don't have to get yelled at based on not loving it enough or whatever. And I think that that's who he was specifically addressing or that particular. Film. Yeah. And then it just blew up like, oh, I can't believe he says I don't like this. And so, yeah. So then people start defending their love of certain movies and oh, film Twitter is so fun. <laughs> And then you close the tab and you go out into the real world and realize. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Because then I went to buy some firewood and I'm going to go burn stuff tonight. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, in other great news about awesome men, uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are reuniting <laughs> to work on a film together again. Aren't we so excited? They have done a lot of work over the years, but I think this is the la- the first film they've actually written together since 1997 when they did Good Will Hunting, if I'm correct, yeah. and they won the Oscar for that screenplay. Um, so this story came out of Deadline, and basically Ridley Scott is planning to direct their next film, which is called The Last Duel. It's based on a novel, and yeah, so Damon and Affleck are going to star in the film, Oh, sorry, they're not writing it. It's being written by Damon. Oh, yeah, the two of them. And also Nicole Hulsener. So she's joining them to work on it together. So that's how that's happening. Now, the story is a revenge revenge movie of some kind. It was funny. When I was reading about it, I was like, this sounds a lot like The Count of Monte Cristo, but okay. (laughs) So... Um, yeah, it's it's about a, a Norman knight and a squire who are friends, and then one goes off to war, and the other one the other one stays at home and rapes his wife. Oh, that sounds cool. Uh, okay. And and when no one be- and no one will believe her uh, naturally, and so when his when the uh, I believe when the knight comes home, um, he appeals to the king of France to like undo the decision that, that basically this guy has been found not guilty. And the way they're going to do it is they're going to have a fight to the death. And this this was pretty common in um, in the medieval period that, you know, we're going to have a fight to the death. And whoever wins is the one that God favors and is the one that is in the right. I remember uh, that being a big thing in Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> pops up a lot. Yeah, it's the trial by combat concept. And, and so this is like a major, a major thing. But of course, we've got we've got. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Matt Damon, who totally never sticks his foot in his mouth when it comes to Me Too never. or He's anything 100% else. 100% on the right side every time. <laughs> Always. And Ben Affleck, who I don't know if you know who his brother is, but his brother has had some issues, and, and he's had some issues. Um, and they're writing a movie about, about basically about a, a rape accusation. And... And then Ridley Scott is going to direct it. I swear to God, um, uh, the Nicole Hofstetter, I I swear they just got her on so that they can deflect criticism. Yep. So they're like, well, but, 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 but a woman wrote it. A woman helped us. So that, that means that a woman, you know, she, she was involved. So you can't criticize anything that we do with this. It just, 
it is already horrifically bad optics. And who the hell knows what this film is actually going to look like? But this is not the story, a story that needs to be told by these two men, like any of these men, actually. Like, my God. (laughs) I know. I'm just... I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that Nicole, adding Nicole into it is sort of like a deflection for sure because just Ridley Scott, a rape scene, It I don't think we need to be doing that in 2020, 2021, whenever. Um, so I've never read the book. So And apparently it was inspired by true events as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm just... It'll be interesting, yeah. to say the least. I'm also uh, super excited to see Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in a period movie again, because they're really, really yeah. good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... When you think of those two, you immediately think of, like, medieval costumes. Oh, yeah, and medieval horses. French accents, and yeah. <laughs> I just don't know where it's going to sit. Is it going to go on the, like, you know, gladiator-esque Ridley Scott realm, or... That's, I don't know. Yeah, that's I, what I was wondering, right? too. Because it's like, Ridley Scott has done some interesting stuff, but, I mean, I like some, I like a bunch of his movies, but I just, I can't picture what this is going to look like. No, it's, it's, if you take away Nicole from the, from the equation, you can kind of picture it, but add her in, it's like, what are they, how are they going to do this now? Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, he directed, I mean, Ridley Scott directed Kingdom of Heaven, which is silly. <laughs> it's a very silly movie. But I mean, if we want to really, if we want to really see the way that he represents that, uh, this, the same general, I think it's, it's not the same time period, but the same general time period, uh, we can look to that, which, you know, I mean, it kind of helped to kill Orlando Bloom's career. So there's that. <laughs> We could also look to Robin Hood from 2010. Oh, that's right. Scott did that one. That's right. And that's kind of where I think this is going to go. He needs to not do this period of film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Terrible idea. Take us back to space, Ridley. You're really good at that. (laughs) He excels at that. He really does. Oh, my gosh. So that's, um, that's the last duel that'll be out sometime, like... I think they said 2021. It doesn't really have an official date, but we'll see that soonest, sooner than later. Um, okay, so we got a couple of bits of big news this week. Stuff was dropping. Um, the schedule for Venice Film Festival came out. And, um, hey, so exciting. There are two female directors in competition. That was super sarcastic because there's two whole two, women, two women in competition. Come on, guys, seriously, no whole surprise. women, two whole two women, like like one and a half women, women. right? Two. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then to really make it even cooler, they're premiering Roman Polanski's new movie. Oh, Lauren, you have thoughts. I know you do. Yeah, and I, I'm going to say this is someone who has had very, a very mixed relationship with Roman Polanski over many, many years. And I, and my mind has changed also about him because I've, I've, I read a lot about the case and I read a lot about him. And I do respect him as a filmmaker. Like, and one of the issues, this is his, I think the film that is premiering is his Dreyfus Affair film. Yes. Um, An officer which, yeah, which is a, 
Very interesting story, and I it would be very interesting in, in a lot of ways in terms of the things that he's focused on over the course of his career. It, we we can't support this. Like with with everything that has been going on, with um, all of the uh, cultural changes, all of the kind of reevaluating filmmakers and reevaluating the you know the way that we experience them. And, you know, we were talking about the separation of the art and the artist and I, which I do believe in, but I also believe that we have to make choices about who we give our attention to in the contemporary moment and who we give our money to. Uh, and, and you just, we can't with Roman Polanski right now, uh, to marry that to two women getting into competition. It, it's, it just kind of, it's sort of the all of the problems that we've been talking about over the past few years writ large. Um, and you do kind of wonder like where, how, how can, how can anyone who's like, uh, how can any jury, how can any um, uh, founder of a festival look at this and go like, Oh yeah, this is fine. Like we don't have a problem with this. I, it's, I don't know. It's very difficult to be, I think, a female critic right now. And it's very difficult to look at some of these things because we're having to deal with basically a lot of men and some women, but primarily men, essentially telling us that nothing has really changed and that nothing is going to change. We're going to just continue to give attention to these abusers. We're going to continue to exhibit their films and sort of say, like, well, we should be separating the art and the artist. And that's that's not what this is about right now. This is this is about giving coverage to a man who is credibly accused of rape, who pled guilty to it. It's not like yeah. this is just accusations that have been plaguing him forever. He pled guilty. The only reason he left the country is because he thought the judge was going to give him a harder sentence than he had that he had agreed to. Yeah. So this is yeah. like not even accusations. He did it. So yeah, Jazz. But I mean. I'm just going to plead my fifth on that. All I'm going to say is in comparison, Toronto, meanwhile, when they announced their slate, what, 50% of their films were directed or co-directed by women. Yep. That's compared to the two that are going to Venice. Right. And the two that are going to Venice are The Perfect Candidate, which is from the Saudi filmmaker Haifa Al-Mansour. She did Waja. And then Mm. um, Baby Teeth, which is from an Australian filmmaker. It's her first film debut. She, she's from TV, and her name is Shannon Murphy. So those are the two films that are going. There's a female jury president for Venice, I heard. So that'll be interesting. But, um, yeah, that's fun. Well, and Venice, Venice has been criticized about this before. Yeah, like, I mean, and the they, last few they've years even... they've had one. So it's, yeah. yeah. Oh, 50% or 100% <laughs> increase. Yay, good job, guys. <laughs> it's yeah it's it's just amazing that this is it's amazing that this has not come home to any of these guys because you knew what the headlines were going to be they had to have known it's just like you only added two women like that's all you've got and that is it's not about numbers guys it's not about like you know oh i i cannot believe that only like three women submitted films and so they chose two that's not how it works right uh, and I know that some of the uh, some of the films that are not appearing in competition are directed by women. Um, but still, this is like this is not cool. Yeah, exactly. It's, ugh, it's so bad. It's frustrating. And it's like it's one of those things. It's like 
I really want to go to Venice. Actually, Jazz and I were talking about this last night. We really want to go to Venice. Yeah. Um, this kind of thing frustrates me, though, and it's like, as much as I want to do that for a lot of reasons, at the same time, then I think about, like, am I then part of the problem supporting these, you know, this complete lack of consideration and the fact that they're not, they're still not taking women filmmakers seriously. Because that's what it says to me, is that they're just not taking taking them seriously. So, I just, I don't know. It's frustrating. Any final thoughts on that before we move on to <laughs> the Barbie movie? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll increase next year. Maybe. Maybe next. But I don't see that happening next year either. I like, know. You look at yeah, you look at what's what currently know about what's coming out next year, and it's like I just I don't see this getting better anytime soon. They, I don't think it will until someone else is running Venice Film Festival. Well, I, you know, I was just looking at the interview with the the with the film fest chief Alberto Bar- Barbera, mm-hmm. and one of the things that he's saying about so in terms of defending Polanski, right? He's saying that. He's saying Caravaggio was a killer, but he's one of the major painters of the Italian Baroque era. It's just like, okay, but Caravaggio is not premiering a new film. Right. Like, it's it's like, I, and that, that's what, you know, we were talking, um, we talked a lot about this on Twitter, but that, that kind of conflation of when we talk about separating the art from the artist, it's, there's a different. There's a difference when the artist is alive versus when the artist is dead, and I think it's a lot easier to separate the two when the artist is dead, even though you might know bad things about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there really is a difference between saying that okay, the art and the artist should be separated in the sense that we need to take an analysis of films or watch the films as though they are as though that's what they are. They're, it's just the text and interpret them like that. That's one thing. Another thing is the money and support and attention that we give to individual artists. Yes. And that's a different thing. So you can't, and the problem is they're pushing the two of them together and saying like, we have to support, I mean, it is basically, we have to support Polanski because Caravaggio was a killer, but he was also a great artist. Mm -hmm. And that's a really strange analogy to make when you really come down to it. It's it's bending over backwards essentially to um, excuse continuing attention to Polanski's work. Like, and I say this as someone who fucking loves his work. Right. There's no way to separate those things right now in terms of his new films. It's just, he shouldn't be making movies anymore, period. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way about Woody Allen. I'm not going to give him my attention. I'm not going to give him my time. I'm not going to give him my money. Right. And that doesn't mean that you can't watch Rose Baby or even, you know, um, The Pianist or something like that. And, I mean you can still watch those and evaluate them for what they are and critique them for what they are and where they fall in film history and stuff like that. It's a totally different argument than, well, I don't want to see this movie that I, you know, because it's coming out now and I can't believe people are still working with this guy. That's, that's a totally different argument. If I were to watch this movie, I would evaluate it for what it is. I don't really want to watch it though, because I just have a lot of issues with the fact that it's even been made at this point. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so, but yeah, there's going to be a Barbie movie next year, which, you know, I have questions about after what we've been talking about, now I suddenly want right now. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry, Margot Robbie. Sorry, Margot Robbie, yes. Written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. Um, yeah. I don't 
That's the thing is I don't see who I'm actually directing. I think Bombac will probably direct. Yeah, I don't think they've announced. Yeah, they may not have, but it's uh, supposed to be this, like, body-positive view of... (laughs) Of Barbie, which is why you cast Margot Robbie. <laughs> so you know, that'll that'll be fun. There've been a bunch of people that were at some point or another considered. Um, I think I heard Amy Schumer's name bounce mm-hmm. around. At point. I can't even remember who else. But, but yeah, what do you guys think about this this project? Uh, I, I don't even. I mean, the girl, I think when I read about it, I had I'd seen Amy Schumer's name bouncing around, and then I saw. Margot Robbie, but then when I saw Girl, it goes okay. But uh, do we need it? Do we need that movie? <laughs> it's a valid question. <laughs> yeah, this one I'm like, I do think Victor does what she's doing. I do think that, that Margot Robbie knows what she's doing. Yeah, and she's had a very good um, sense of own of her own education and how to use that and how to use it in a subversive way. So. I'm kind of intrigued just that they come with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would especially if Eric winds up directing it. I, I mean, I, I have no idea if that's going to happen or, you know, if it would happen. But that would make me go like, hmm, I would sort of enjoy that. I, this, so it could be an absolute disaster or it, it could actually wind up being something really interesting. I think this is one where you, I, I'm kind of like, I'm going to watch for this. <laughs> Wait, IMDb says the plot revolves around Barbie being expelled from Barbie land, not being perfect enough. She sets off on an adventure in the real world. Thank you. I'm suddenly much more interested in this movie. I like that. <laughs> like Dora the Sora. Yeah. No, honestly, it would be nice to Margot Robbie in a role where she is not like a prominent part of it because of because of her beauty, but actually has some true things to do. Because, I mean, we'll get it once upon a time in Hollywood in a bit. But regardless of it's on that movie, if you look at a lot of the films that she's done besides Itania, um, most of it, she's basically just been there to be the pretty, you know, woman beside man or in the man or whatever. And so I'm looking forward to seeing her in something very different. I I want to see her. I want to see another side of her. I think is what I'm yeah. saying. So yeah. Cool. All right. So um, other casting news: Austin Butler is going to be Elvis in Baz Luhrmann's next movie, which is supposed to be focused on his younger years. Um, we won't talk about this for a long time. I just want to mention it because I'm a Baz Luhrmann fan. I actually don't dislike any of his movies, which is an unpopular opinion, apparently. But uh... Australia? <laughs> Australia. Australia. <laughs> I, I will defend it. <laughs> um, but that this is, is the like, This most... is just Hugh Jackman. This is just about Hugh Jackman, isn't it? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Well, Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman, they're both <laughs> pretty. <laughs> they are pretty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much the least Baz Luhrmann movie that he's got. It's, it's funny. It's It doesn't really fit his aesthetic at all but but if he does this movie more like his typical look of things like he did with Great Gatsby or some of his other films I'm really intrigued in this view of Elvis because uh, it would be nice to see a different type of story about him than what we've usually gotten but if it is yeah. more yeah. more Australia where it just feels like this like you know, a big or whatever it's going to be. It's going to be boring. Okay, so I just wanted to very quickly give a rundown of some stuff that happened at Comic-Con. Um, well, two big things happened at Comic-Con this year. One, I was in a room with Tom Cruise, and I didn't freak out too much. And I didn't pass out. It was amazing. It happened, I, guys. I had to check on you. I was like, are you alive? Are you still breathing? Like, Karen, hello. 
<laughs> this is how you know Jazz is a good friend. She literally did text me and ask me if I was okay. <laughs> I was like, Tom oh, Cruise is at Comic-Con. Karen is at Comic-Con. She's probably <laughs> freaking out so bad. I Oh my gosh, it was so magical. So what had happened was <laughs> we had heard that, there, that Paramount was doing a panel for both Dark Fate and Top Gun Maverick. But then when the schedule came out, there was nothing about Top Gun Maverick anywhere. And um, so I was with a friend who runs a different site. We were there together, and he was like, oh, he's going to come. They're going to do something. And I was like, I don't know. You know, I just didn't want to get my hopes up. And so, but we went we went ahead and went to the, to the Dark Fate panel in Hall H, and... That was interesting, and that actually started to make me more interested in, in the next Terminator movie. I have been totally not into that at all. But now I'm much more intrigued. But anyway, so that panel ends. Everybody leaves the stage. A bunch of people are getting up because there's a little bit of a break before the next panel is supposed to start. And so people are getting up to go to the restroom and stuff. And then all of a sudden Conan O'Brien comes out on stage. <laughs> and everyone's like, what is he doing here? And he's just like, yeah... So I have a little surprise for you. You know, we're here in San Diego. We're really, you know, close to some military stuff. And everyone just freezes. Like, what? <laughs> and then he goes, I just want to introduce you the biggest movie star in the world. And I just sat there with my jaw open like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. This is really happening. And then sure enough, he came out on stage. And uh, I, I, I did. I cried a little. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was really cool and then they showed the first teaser for Top Gun Maverick which was just like I've been looking forward to that movie just because I love him but that was the first time I actually let myself consider that the movie might be good <laughs> <laughs> and I'm excited so that happened <laughs> and then uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the trailer in a bit but, um, but yeah so then um, the last the last thing I went to was, of course, you know, the big Hall H Marvel presentation Saturday night, and there was some big stuff. I mean, Kevin Feige came out and just laid out their plan for the next two years. This is phase four. This is everything that's coming, and I just really wanted to focus on two projects I think that interest us the most, probably, um, and that is Black Widow, which, um, you know, I mean fans have been asking for Black Widow since Iron Man 2, since she was first introduced, so she's finally getting her standalone movie, and that will be the next um, the next movie in the Marvel Universe that comes out next May, and it's currently in production now, and I'm just curious what you guys are thinking as far as this project goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I, I would just say for me personally, I feel like the time has passed um, and one of the issues that I, I think that I had certainly, I had, I had an issue with the way the Black Widow was treated in Endgame. Um, I had a very big issue with the way the Black Widow was treated in Endgame. I'm assuming that this film goes back in time, because uh, otherwise they're really going to be retconning some stuff or trying to explain something. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I feel like because she was sort of one of the first, in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, she was one of the first major female characters, and now we've, in some ways, moved past her, and they, they kind of, 
removed a lot of the interesting stuff I think that there was about her over the course of the Avengers films and over the course of some of the Captain America films. Now and plus Scarlett Johansson just keeps on you know sticking her foot further and further down her throat. Uh, and I'm just I'm not as enthused. I'm sort of interested in what they're going to do, but it's it feels like too little, too late to me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'll probably be first in line to go and watch it because I end up doing that with all the Marvel movies. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I I think I agree with you, Lauren. Like, I think the time has passed. Like, it could have come out two years ago. Um, but yeah, I I'm just kind of like on the fence with it. Like, I know I'll see it, um, and I just wonder, yeah, time-wise, I think I read that they are going to do it before Endgame, because, yeah, but that's all, and I don't know, I've just lost interest in it. You know, you yeah, know? It's, yeah, it's interesting, they did show some footage, which it's weird, because they have not released this footage anywhere, and I really thought that they were doing it as a teaser trailer, so I don't know why it's not out there. But um, basically, it shows this fight between uh, between Black Widow and um, Florence Pugh's character. This like hand to hand combat. They are equally matched. It's really gonna be that fight is gonna be fun to watch, and like their whole dynamic is gonna be fun to watch. And that takes place in Budapest. So the whole thing is like, oh, we're finally gonna find out what happened in Budapest and what she's been living with all this time. What I find really interesting about the timing of this, and this is, I think, leads into the concerns you kind of alluded to, Lauren. Um, I haven't heard anybody mention the fact that this is the first film of Phase 4. And mm. I, they haven't said anything, but I think... I think there's a very specific reason they're finally doing the Black Widow movie now and at the beginning of Phase 4 instead of having it fit in somewhere at the end of Phase 3 or even in the middle of Phase 3. I think that what happens in this movie is going to have lasting impact for the future uh, films. And whether that means they find some way to retcon what happened in Endgame or it just matters for other characters that they plan to bring in. I don't know, but I think that that's why it's coming in when it is. I think that there, I think it's not just a, an encapsulated standalone film that helps us understand other things from past movies. I think this is going to have broader implications than that. Mm. So, mm. but then the movie that everyone was super excited about, and this is going to be at the end of phase four this is coming in 2021. Taika Waititi is back, y'all, with Thor, <laughs> Love and Thunder, which I still think sounds like a great strip show name in Vegas. Um, <laughs> is that not what it's watch. going to be? I mean... <laughs> if it's not, they're doing something wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Chris Hemsworth is coming back as Thor. Um, Tessa Thompson is coming back as King Valkyrie. Uh, that is very important because I saw a bunch of people refer to her as Queen of New Asgard, and I'm like, no, you fuckers, she's the king. You respect the king. And uh, she did say that her priority is going to be to find a new queen, so who knows what that means. So that'll be exciting. And then they introduced the new 
Well, Taika said that when he was writing the script for this, and it's crazy, this movie has been in the works for months. Like, when that announcement came that he was going to direct it, it sounded like something that they had just decided and signed him on for. No, no, no. He's been writing this forever. And when he was writing it, he was reading the Mighty Thor series, which is where the female Thor comes into play, and that was Jane Foster. And... So he's like, there's only one person to play this role. And he brings out Natalie Portman, who is back. And a whole bunch of fanboys were really mad because they thought she hated the MCU. And now suddenly she doesn't. And they didn't know what to do with that information. That was genius. That was, <laughs> was absolutely so genius. It was so great. I was getting really annoyed because a bunch of people took a screen grab from when she's holding the, the hammer. And she's kind of grimacing a little bit. And people are like, see, yeah, this is how comfortable she is. She's really, she she doesn't want to do this. She's like, oh, you know. I'm like, no, it's because she didn't think people would accept her. She was nervous about how people would think would take this news. That's what that grimace was for. And didn't it just take one meeting between the two of them for uh-huh. him to convince her to come back? Like, hello. Yeah. And and this is the thing. It's like people like to say that she's been talking about how much she hates the MCU. I've asked people to show me quotes and nobody can. Like she hasn't gone off on rampages about it or anything. That she's the last thing I read from her was she said they just hadn't asked her to come back, and so she just hadn't. She's not going to call them and say, "Let me this little side character back in," you know. And Taika asked her, and she said, "Yes, there you go." Exactly. I, I feel like you just don't say no to Taika. I know I would not, personally. Yes, we know, uh, Karen, we know. <laughs> Lauren, what are your thoughts on Thor, Love, and Thunder? Uh, as per usual, I, you know, just when I think I'm out, they keep dragging me back in. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I've always really enjoyed the Thor movies, and I think Thor Ragnarok is obviously the best, so I'm totally down for whatever else Waititi wants to do. Like, And to bring back, to bring in a female Thor, you know, I hope that there's a lot of gender bending. I hope that there's a lot of like polyamorous relationships. I hope that they really just go for it, uh, and I, I, think, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't imagine that it won't be. Yeah. I think he's totally just going to go for it. And with Tessa as queen, a king, sorry, king, and (laughs) Natalie Portman back, I think it's going to be insanely good. And, yes, I've always loved the Thor series, too. So excited. So that will be coming to theaters in November of 2021, and I will be watching every scrap of news about it along the way because I'm a little bit obsessed. All right, so we got a couple of questions this week. Thank you. The first one is from Mason Perrier at Unstoppable uh, Unstoppable Rant. Um, Do you think raising the minimum wage would increase movie attendance? Are there other economic factors unrelated to the theaters themselves that you feel affect ticket sales and whether people go to the theaters or not? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Lauren. Uh. Oh, well, I'm going to say I'm not an economist and I don't study, you know, I don't necessarily study box office, et cetera. I, I do think that there's there has been there have been economic downturns. Ticket prices continue to rise. You know, people have talked about it. Ticket prices continue to rise, but wages have not actually risen that much. Um, and so even though in terms of the world economy, the you know, people often say that, well, you know, it's it's about equivalent to 
to what the economics were, you know, during the Great Depression or what the economics were, have always been. So there's always been that kind of relationship between salaries and ticket prices. It, it costs $20 it, to go to a movie in New York City it, or, you know, 15 or something like that. And, and that's a lot of money. And, and that's talking about um, that's talking about taking a lot out of your out of your day, taking a lot out of your wages, taking a lot out of your salary just to go see a movie that then, you know, is going to probably be available on streaming for less, certainly, uh, even if you wind up renting it within a couple of months. And so people, I think, are making decisions based upon that. Would raising the minimum wage mean? Yeah, it, I think it would mean that more people went to the movies because people would have more disposable income. Right now, if you have a minimum wage that is, I think, in well, in New York, it, it has risen actually to fifteen dollars. They've, they've gone up. Um, but if you have a minimum wage and that people cannot live on, which is true for a lot of states and a lot of cities, then you're making decisions about where you're spending your, your money, uh, outside of rent and food and, you know, all of the necessities of life. So then I've got $15 left over. Where am I going to spend that? How am I going to spend that? And that's, that's going to make a difference. Um, so, yeah, I think the raising the minimum wage, it will definitely make a difference to ticket sales. But I think that there are other issues that are accompanying theaters right now that people simply are not getting the bang for their buck that they that they want anymore. And that that's going to continue to affect the way that theaters operate. Yeah, I, I don't know. I see it a little bit differently, um, just slightly. And I don't want to get into a whole economic discussion right now about it, obviously. But especially without some research to back up what I'm about to say. But the thing is that I don't think it's raising the minimum wage because then that gives businesses the, the excuse to raise their prices too. So then you end up just in this perpetual thing where um, people that are on the minimum wage never can get to that point where they have extra just because everything will always just continue to cost more. What it is is that businesses really need to be just paying their workers more and they think there need to be incentives from the government, there need to be incentives and tax breaks and things like that to encourage businesses to pay their employees decently. And then that's where you'll start to see people have more disposable income and spend it on fun things and not just living. So, yeah. Uh, what do you think, Jess? Yeah, no, I think, you know, I, I'm terrible with, you know, economics and, and everything like that. But I think part of it is, like, it's $15 in New York, and then in L.A., it's like, what, $20? Add in movie snacks, add in maybe going out to dinner suddenly, you're looking at $150, right? That's just two people. But the typical thing is, like, it's it's a couple and maybe kids. Nobody has, like, you don't have that disposable income, so therefore they're going to stay healthy, they're going to find what's on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or if they still watch, I don't know, cable TV. Um, but, yeah, it's like, in, and but then it goes to what you said of, like, if they increase, you know, if they increase the minimum wage and businesses are also, you know, and businesses pay their employees better and so on, all that's going to happen is everything else will go up as well. So we're in that constant circle of, of that and I don't know people just need better you know better lifestyles I think uh you know supported by businesses and and the government of course and I don't think we have that 
that's a whole other podcast conversation. (laughs) But also to your point too, Lauren, as well, one of the big problems, like, I mean, I'm in a situation where I'm lucky I get to go to a lot of movies for free, but then I also have an AMC pass. So when I do Mm -hmm. go to movies with the general public, I'm out there. It's not costing me anything out of pocket per visit to the theater because I pay once a month. But it's like if I were in that situation where I had to buy a ticket every time I wanted to go to the movies, I would really think about it. Not not because, oh, this is getting expensive, although that's part of it, but also just the fact that people are really freaking annoying in the movie theater. And do I want to go pay fifteen, twenty dollars yeah. to sit there and deal with someone being on their phone and someone else talking and somebody with their nasty bare feet up on the seat in front of them? And you know, all these really annoying things about just being in the public and and people forgetting that when the lights go out, they didn't get transported into their own living rooms. You know, and so it's yeah. like all those things. I, I don't think. I think that the cost is definitely one of the parts of why people are reluctant to go to the theater, but I think there's a lot of it, and I think a big chunk of it is just the overall experience, and is this worth my money? Well, and, and like you said, there's that balance between I'm spending $15, $20 for a ticket in order to go and have someone on their phone the entire the entire film in order in order to go to ha- and have my experience interrupted and my experience you know you, and you don't know what you're getting basically and so and that's a really difficult thing now, now if you say to me right, well you're going to spend four dollars and that might happen that's a very different thing I'm just like well maybe I'd be willing to risk four dollars but I'm not really willing to risk twenty um, mm-hmm. I I would I am going to be interested because more and more theaters. Uh, theater chains have begun to get these things like the AMC Pass. So AMC has their, um, the AMC Pass, the A-list, yeah. And Regal is now going to start rolling one out. I know that um, uh, Alamo Draft House is also doing theirs. So I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that. And it's basically the movie pass concept for individual theater chains. And I will be interested to see how that affects the way that people go to the movies and the choices that they make, if that does in fact increase theater attendance. Um, It certainly has increased my theater attendance because usually every month, so I pay $20 per month for the AMC pass. And so I'm like, okay, well, I definitely have to go to at least one movie on this pass every month just in order to make my money back. And the more movies that I go to, the better I'm doing. So it, it has changed the way that I go to see films much the same way that movie pass changed the way I went to see films, which I still miss so much. Um, yeah. Uh, but that's going to continue to happen. I think. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the big things that came out of movie pass is the fact that it proved people are still interested in seeing movies in the theater. There's just a lot of reasons why they are not doing that. Yeah. And, it's not that they don't care about the theatrical experience, which is what some people, for whatever reason, like to think or, or try to try to say. That's not it. There's a lot of other reasons. Cost is definitely one of them. So thank you, Mason, for your question. Um, we have another question. This is from Keith Derrick at KH Derrick. What movies do you wish you could have watched when you were a kid that kids enjoy, that kids today get to enjoy? So. Movies that are coming out now that you wish, like, oh, man, I wish I was a kid getting to see this for the first time, is the way I read that question. Yeah. Jazz, do you have any? The first film that came to mind was Frozen. Oh, I would have loved yeah. 
Frozen and Wonder Woman, actually, those two. I wish, like, being a little girl, going to the movies. I think those two. Mm, yeah, good ones. I got to take my friend's daughter, well, my friend and her daughter, to see Beauty and the Beast, the live-action one, when it came out. And as much as I, as an adult, see a lot of the frustrating things about that transition, watching it through a nine-year-old's eyes was just, it was, for her, that was a really magical experience. And so I would say that probably, probably all of the Disney live action and CGI remakes are are probably great ones to experience as a kid, much more than an adult. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first one after Jess said Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman and the 2016 Ghostbusters. Uh, I would have loved to have those when I was eight. That would have been awesome. Um, Also, yeah, some of the Pixar ones, like Inside Out in particular, would have been great for me in middle school. I think it would have have appealed to me in a lot of ways. Um, And also... and I love these as an adult, but I can't imagine how obsessed I would have been with them as a child. The Shaun the Sheep movies. I love those. <laughs> which are so good and so adorable. Oh, and, my gosh. And, like I say, I'm a grown-up person, and I love them. And when I was a kid, I would have, like, I would have had all of the sheep things. Like, that would have been my thing. My parents would have gone insane mm-hmm. uh, with all of the sheep stuff. So, yeah. On. Well, thank you so much for that question, Keith. And of course, anytime you have questions for us, please send them our way. We love getting questions from our listeners, so thank you so much. Um, let's talk some trailers. We got a few this week. Um, we already briefly mentioned Top Gun Maverick. Did you guys watch the trailer for that? Yes. Watched it. Loved it. What did you loved it? I just I I don't know. I loved seeing Tom Cruise step into that uniform again and hearing that <laughs> score I'm like take me, take give me this film today oh my God. Uh, just the nostalgia just went all over and it made me want to come back and watch top gun and revisit it and i'm excited for it like i was really really excited for that trailer for sure yeah lauren i know you have different thoughts <laughs> okay uh so i really enjoy top gun i think it's a very fun film uh, I think it's also very silly and a bit and very dated. Um, that was one of the issues that I had with the trailers that watching it, I was like, man, this is quite a show of American military might right here, isn't it? <laughs> and and it did kind of remind me that, you know, the original Top Gun is very, it's very rah-rah America. It's very much like, you know, our boys in, in whatever, green, um, um, flying those amazing airplanes and all that sort of, it's that show of American masculinity kind of thing. And it's fun, and it's also queer in some ways. Um I really hope that we get a replay of the volleyball scene somewhere along the way. I know there was a brief thought in the trailer of like some guy without a shirt. I think he was holding a football and I was like, Ooh, are we going to get like a football scene? Probably. Is that? Cause there's girls in this one. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's, it looks like fun and I'm certain it's going to be a lot of fun. I just have to turn off that part of my brain that goes like, Oh, we're showing off how strong we are militarily at the in a very contentious time period. <laughs> I mean, there's some yeah, there's some validity to that, but I I get the sense that this is kind of 
from from the stuff that they showed, I get the sense this is more of like, what do we do now that these pilots are basically obsolete and things are just completely changing? It's a changing world, and Maverick is still part of this old system that we are have moved past. And where's his place in that? So, um, but I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna capture that fun and ridiculousness of the first movie. Um, I like I said before, I was very skeptical. Well, no, not skeptical. That's not the right word. I just was not expecting. Like whenever you hear about a sequel coming for a movie that's over thirty years old, it's like, uh, I don't know why. Are, why are they doing that? And so I've been expecting that I would enjoy this just because of my love for Tom Cruise and my love for Top Gun. But when I saw the visuals. I was like, if nothing else, this movie will look really incredible. Like, yeah. when you just see that, I don't know which plane it was, F-16 or whatever it is, just, like, flying over the desert, and you see him <laughs> get on that motorcycle, and it's like, just the way, like, the cinematography looks like it's going to be really incredible. And for that and and alone, I would be super excited. So that was, like, such a great teaser, because... It got me to just totally lay aside my skepticism and be like, you know what? Whatever happens, I'm going to just enjoy the crap out of it. So this is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who directed um, Tom Cruise in Oblivion, which is another movie that I think went really underseen. I think there's a lot of really good stuff to that, and it's the same cinematographer. So I'm excited. That'll be out next June 2020. We got... <laughs> Let's talk about the bad before we move back into the <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually really annoyed because they dropped this surprise amazing Top Gun Maverick trailer and then in the afternoon it's like um, someone said hey we can either bury this or we can just really take the internet by a storm and they released the Cats trailer on the same day so it was faster 24 hours early <laughs> it was supposed to be up Friday and they released it Thursday afternoon and it was just jerks so <laughs> I started seeing the Twitter comments before I actually saw trailer because I was still in Hall H wa- watching stuff and so I just keep seeing things like why is the tail coming out of its ass and <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a very interesting experience Jazz what were your thoughts as you were watching the trailer for I, my, I, I don't know what I watched I really don't um <laughs> I I think my jaw hit the floor and it was on there for 48 hours and I came home and Jen was like, I love the catch trail. I'm like, okay, are we on the same planet? Like, <laughs> tell me what you love about it. She's so funny. <laughs> um, I, okay, I've never... Some, I love musicals, everybody knows that, but for some reason Cats is, is the one thing that I just cannot get into so um and I was you know maybe willing to give this a shot and be like well Taylor Swift's in it Jennifer Hudson um Judy Dench but I don't know I just don't know and no matter what we say it's gonna make a shit ton of money um and it's gonna do a greater showman like it's and people love it anyway well normal people outside of film twitter love it so (laughs) Yeah, there is definitely a divide. So. <laughs> Lauren, I hear you giggling over there. I 
I was like you. I was seeing the reactions before I actually saw the trailer, and I was like, oh, it can't possibly be that bad. <laughs> and then I put it on, and, and I was, yeah, I was just like, well, okay, so this proves there is no God. Because um, no God would allow for something like this to happen. It, it just, I, it's terrifying. It is the most terrifying trailer I have ever seen. And and I I'm I'm similar I I never like I saw the original stage production um on like they showed they showed a video of it on PBS when I was a kid or something like that and I was always like what the hell is this even about like I don't I don't know what's going on and it's not about anything that's why it's just a bunch of cats who are like fighting over being allowed to be the one to die and get taken up to cat heaven and it is so incredibly fucked up to begin with. <laughs> And then you've got on top of this this like unholy combination of CGI and live action. Just like and at one point they're making them small, but they're not. They're so small that they're not even really the size of cats. They're like the size of teeny tiny mini cats. And I, I was just sitting there going like, did they? Did they, any? It's a great cast. Did any of these actors know? What was happening? Did they know that this was going to happen to them? Or were they just like, oh, I'm going to get my paycheck, and this is, you know, I'm going to be in Cats. It's like Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's one of the most popular shows on Broadway. Like, I I, I was sitting there, and I was just like, this, this is what Lovecraft meant when he warned us of the evils <laughs> beyond the cosmos. This is what he was talking about. We thought he was just being a racist bastard, but no, it was actually about the fucking Cats trailer. Like, this has ushered in the reign of Cthulhu. And it did not. It did not help that then New York City like was in the middle of a heat wave, and then all of the lights went out for a while, and later Gowanus flooded. So I was just like, "Yep, it's the end days." Thank God. <laughs> so I. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I've never seen cats. I don't know anything about it. The only thing I've ever known about it is what I learned from Titus Andromedon when he was cast in an off-off-off Broadway production <laughs> in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And they basically told him this doesn't mean anything and just sing whatever comes to your mind. So <laughs> in my head, that's what Cats is. It means nothing. Everything means everything. Um, I'm going to be really honest. I did not understand that these this is supposed to be actual cats that are people's pets. And when I found that out, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I it's the most what the fuck trailer that's ever been released, I think, in the history of film. <laughs> like, well done, you know, well done cat. Like, get, yeah, this is going to get so many people to watch it just because of the curiosity factor. Like, could the movie really be as bad as this? And I don't like, know if I can sit through a movie that is all, all that. Like, I don't know. I don't think I could look at it for long enough. <laughs> That screen grab that's going around of Jennifer Hudson's face is so <laughs> But it's also the digital fur technology. I'm like, what is that? Like, is this Russian cat? It's like, why don't you just call it what it is? I saw you tweet that before I had gotten to see the trailer, and I didn't know that you were talking about it in reference to cats. I thought it was some random comment about the Lion King. <laughs> And then no, that's what they pride us. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, 
this movie is made with digital fur technology. Like, yeah, but it still traumatized me. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about a movie that does not seem like it will be traumatizing at all, and that is Marielle Heller's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which stars hey. Tom Hanks as oh. Fred Rogers. Did you not tear up seeing that trailer? It's just like, oh, I'm melting. You know, it's funny. I've talked about this before on this podcast, but, I mean, I didn't grow up with Mr. Rogers. My mom didn't let us watch him. So so I didn't have the nostalgic connection to him. So last year when the documentary was out, it didn't really mean much to me because it just, it wasn't part of my childhood. But this trailer, and of course one of the immediate criticisms I saw was, oh, well, Tom Hanks doesn't sound anything like him. I actually thought that was a good thing because watching this trailer, it made me feel like I can connect to Mr. Rogers in a different way because I can't connect to him for who he actually was. So I was, I was very pleased with it. And yeah, I did. I got, I got weirdly emotional over a Mr. Rogers movie in a way that I did not expect. So yeah. I'm the same as you because I grew up in England and we didn't have Mr. Rogers and I watched the documentary and it was like oh cool okay this is who he is right but like you when I saw the trailer Tom Hanks just embraced that warmth and that loving that I guess is you know that which is what Mr. Rogers was and yeah I was I actually got really tearful I was like oh I can't wait for this and Mark Heller directing it. It's like, I, yeah. I adore her. So, Lauren, you do have a big connection to Mr. Rogers. So what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with Mr. Rogers, and I love the documentary. Um, I, I really liked this trailer, and I like... Mario Heller has said a couple of times that one of the reasons why she wanted to make this movie is because it feels like this kind of positive masculinity is something that we need right now is is to be reminded that this is a positive force um and that this is actually because part part of the plot is about this this reporter who talks to mr rogers and whose life changes as a result of him sort of becoming friends with mr rogers um and, and mr rogers does kind of represent all the positive things that we should kind of want to access about about men and about masculinity um and just watching the trailer, I was like, you know, I was reminded of all of those things as a child. And I, I like the fact that Hanks is not doing an impression of him. He's sort of doing it. it it's, it's a characterization. And he's not just trying to be Mr. Rogers. He's trying to get at something about him as, as a person. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's just lovely and of course you know they they had to have tom hanks as this character like there, i don't think there's any other actor who could embody mr rogers yeah exactly there's just that that beautiful he's just such a loving presence and just such a warm comforting guy you know and it's, yeah yeah i i think that it had to be him for sure so um yeah so that will be out Shoot, I forgot to look up the release date. Who has it? I think it's in November? October, November, yeah. Yeah. Some Somewhere around that, yeah. I got it. So this will be out November 22nd. And then the other movie trailer that we got this week that just made my heart so happy for many different reasons. The long-awaited trailer, well, maybe long-awaited for me. I don't know if anybody else has been waiting for this movie as much as I have, but Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I was dying. I was watching it and 
it just it made me so happy. It was weird because I saw it was it was released by Taika Waititi, who directs it and stars in it. It was released on his Twitter account. Fox Searchlight is who's distributing the movie. It wasn't on their YouTube page. It wasn't. They didn't retweet his tweet. Nothing until like hours and hours later. So I was just like, "What is going on with this? This is super weird." But he just posted the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's it's there now. But um, I just love that <laughs> it says the visionistical director of Taika Waititi. Oh, he's so funny. Um, but anyway, yeah. So this is the story of a kid who's in Hitler's youth, and he has an imaginary friend named Adolf Hitler, which is played by Taiko Waititi, and um, it's an anti-hate satire, and it will be out in October. So, what do y'all think of this trailer? I thought that that description was brilliant, and then when I clicked play, I was in hysterics. Just the whole concept of him playing Hitler was brilliant, but also I think what I really loved about it is that just like it goes back to his style of where he does this thing of like the character longing for a sense of companionship. And this kid actually has conjured up Hitler, like everybody. It's just like genius. Like only from his mind could we have that. And I think I watched it a hundred times, but... Oh, yeah, at least. Same for me. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren? Yeah, I think that if this was anyone other than Taika Waititi, I would be like, what in the name of God are you doing? Please stop. <laughs> but the fact that it's him and and that, you know, and, I, he, and he's been saying this for months now, just like a Polynesian Jew is playing Hitler. This would make Hitler very angry. <laughs> Um, which is, is, of course, the goal. I think that anything that would make Hitler angry is a good thing. Um, yeah, it, it looks great. I cannot wait to see what he does with this because it, I mean, it could be a disaster, but I have a feeling that it's not going to be. Um, and I, I did like the fact that he recently posted the, uh, the Hitler meme from Downfall um, with, with Hitler reacting to Jojo Rabbit, and and that was, I think, the best use of that meme that I have ever seen. Uh, that meme was created so that eventually we could have. This. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just been the long game, basically. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm excited. I think it's going to be loads of fun. Um, it's obviously a very topical time in history to actually do this and I if any director can pull this off and make it really satirical and really funny and really um important I think he can yeah I mean a lot of people didn't didn't really know who Taika was until Thor Ragnarok but he's done some really inventive very I mean his stuff is very colorful and very whimsical but it also has a lot of meaning and I'm really excited about that. There's gonna be, there's gonna be a lot of surface level like very good humor, but there's also gonna be a lot of, of really deep meaningful subtext too, and that's what I'm I'm really excited about. So, um, yeah, and this comes out on a very plum release date, which is October 18th, and the reason that that is an interesting date is because um, 
a lot of Best Picture nominees end up getting released on that day. I don't know what it is about October 18th, but it's like a magical day. <laughs> <laughs> if Taika Waititi got a Best Picture nomination, I would just, my heart would explode. Uh, just saying. Just saying. So, anyway, yeah, so there you go. That will be out in the world soon. But you can watch the, the downfall meme <laughs> a million times and enjoy that because it's awesome. I thought Polynesian was just a delicious sauce for chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about, we're, oh, wow, we're running long, guys, sorry. Um, but let's talk about a couple of things that happened this week. Lauren, you had your final roundup for Fantasia Fest. So why don't you kind of give us a little bit of a rundown of what's good and what's okay. Uh, I mean, for the most part, I saw mostly good films of Fantasia, even the ones that I wasn't 100% in love with, uh, I, I think are quite good. I saw a good J sort of attempt to return to J horror um, with Stare, which is, it's basically the ring, but with a scary story instead of a cursed video, it's like a cursed, scary story. And it's, it's quite creepy. It, it wanders off on a couple of tangents that I think kind of lessen the tension of the film. But otherwise, it's it's very worth seeking out, and, and uh, I enjoyed it. It was just a lot of fun, I, and I tend to like J-Horror. The other one, I just really wanted to talk about Extraordinary, or Extraordinary, yes. uh, which you guys have been on me to see, and I finally got to see, and it is, in fact, one of my favorite movies of the year. Yay! Uh, yeah, and. It's just so funny. It's just, it's an, it's basically an Irish Ghostbusters, but better than that in a lot of ways. Um, and it's, I, I can't, I, I don't even know how to talk about it because in watching it, I was just like, this, so this is my sense of humor, but in film form, uh, it, it's, it's everything. Like Will Forte is fantastic but every one of the things i really liked about it is that he doesn't dominate the film and he could have mm-hmm. um but all of the performers in it are really funny it is it's an irish film i think he's the only uh, american in that entire mix but he just plays his part to the hilt um it is about an irish driving instructor who is who used to be a spiritual medium and quit after an accident involving her father in which, as she puts it, she dad slaughtered him. Uh, <laughs> which isn't funny, but it's hilarious. It is funny, though. Like, that's the thing. Just like, what do you do when you kill your father? Your dad slaughtered him. Um, and she kind of has to come back and become a medium again because uh, people keep on contacting her, and she eventually gets in contact with a man who whose <laughs> wife has been haunting him. And he's finally decided that he he's not certain whether he really wants to be involved with this anymore. And then it turns into issues of Satanist rituals <laughs> and a 1980s one hit wonder who wants another hit record. Uh, and it's just very funny and very well done and does have one of the best final lines, I think, <laughs> possibly in the history of cinema. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as that that's going to continue to roll out. I think that it's. It's getting released in the UK later on this year. I hope that it gets a, at least a limited release in the United States, but I'm certain it'll it'll wind up on um, 
you know, like Amazon or Shutter or something like that. So definitely see it when you can see it. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is one that, I mean, the reason that we've been telling Lauren to watch this for months is because Kristen and I randomly, when we were at South By, we um, we were looking through and the press office, because of stuff that was going on, they had said, just give us a list of movies that you want tickets for and we'll just get you tickets. And so we were going through the schedule and we had this gap on one day and we were like, well, we need something. And I was kind of flipping through just what was listed and I saw Will Forte's name and I kind of read the synopsis and I didn't understand what I was reading, but I was like, oh, what the heck, let's give this one a shot. And within the first five minutes of this movie, I was like, oh my gosh, Lauren's going to love this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was just this totally by chance that we even saw it in the first place. And it's it's just a gem. And yeah, I agree. I hope that it gets gets here to the States for people to watch it because it's, it's really funny and, and very well done. So yeah. Yeah, I want to watch it now based on that. Okay. It's great. You'll love it. It really is great. Um, Okay, so there was a movie that hit theaters this week. Everyone knows it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is Quentin Tarantino's... um, I've heard people calling it Love Letter, and I don't really think that that's accurate or fair. But uh, anyway, it's his movie about 1969 in Hollywood, and it's about these two guys, Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Cliff Booth, his stuntman, played by Brad Pitt... Who takes off his shirt and does things to the audience. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, was there yeah, a when he did that? Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, like the whole room just kind of gasped. Like, what is happening right now? But um, anyway, the two of them play these guys that are kind of washed up. They're seeing the ends of their careers and not really sure what to do about it. And they're, so it's really, the movie's about the two of them trying to find their place in this changing landscape. And it just happens, and I mean that, it just happens that Sharon Tate and her new hubby, Roman Polanski, have moved in next door to Rick Dalton. And um, so then stuff happens. So, Jazz, I know we feel differently about this movie. I start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was skeptical. I was, okay, I was skeptical going in. With Tarantino films, all of them, I've always, I admire what he's done. I've never really liked them on the first viewing. Like, I go back and they grow on me. That's how my relationship with him has been. Um, This, though, for me, the first, it's the first where I've loved it right away. Um, Obviously, I love, I think, Pitt and DiCaprio are superb. I really love their chemistry and that story the whole thing of the friendship um but I also liked the nostalgia for old Hollywood like it was a different era and personally it's one of those things that I've been watching like Echo in the Canyon uh Marion and not Marion and Leonard um oh my god Echo in the Canyon there's something else that I saw that just made me like really love Hollywood 1969 the music and um so seeing that just was another like checkbox that I loved, and obviously uh, the what he did with Sharon Tate and that whole storyline. Um, I yeah, I, I loved it, and that's why I've been tweeting. I mean, yeah, I've been tweeting ridiculous amounts about it. Um, 
and the production yeah i mean the production design is phenomenal for me um yeah so i don't love quentin tarantino's work i've been pretty honest about that i when i was 17 and saw pulp fiction for the first time you know i was taken in by it but when i saw it again as an adult i'm like huh yeah this movie just doesn't work for me the same way as it did you know a couple years back and his later stuff that i think i think on a lot of technical and craft level shows a lot more skill i i don't i don't see that he has really grown much as a writer and as a director i don't see a lot of of new uh new stuff from him and i wasn't sure what to expect going into once upon a time in hollywood i I was trying to be optimistic about this one just because of the fact that, you know, I know that he is obsessed with old Hollywood and, and especially that time frame in the 60s. And and so I thought, well, at the very least, this will have some really interesting visuals and stuff. And it, it does, although one thing that frustrated me was, like, when Brad Pitt's cruising around Hollywood, he's going, like, 60 miles an hour down Sunset, and you can't actually see any of the stuff that's supposed to be really cool. It's like, where's the cruising, you know? This is supposed to be, like... I want to see what's on that marquee. I want to see whose face is on that billboard. And I felt like I couldn't really focus on any of that. So so it was like, I'm sure the production value was really awesome, but I just didn't get to drink it in like I was hoping to. And then the story itself, I mean, it went the direction that I expected it to go, knowing what you know about Tarantino and, and, and everything. And so it, I wasn't surprised by the way that it, that it, the way that it wraps up, and especially those whole last 40 minutes, what what I did find myself very frustrated by, and I'm going to try to talk about this without spoiling anything, but there is this tendency I've seen, and I saw this with The Hateful Eight, I saw this with um, Django, with some other movies, it's like, there's this weird, disturbing, I'm going to say, it feels like glee, it feels like he enjoys showing really ultra violent stuff which i mean that's not a secret but i've i've seen this against women and it's like he tries to excuse it if it's a woman that you think deserves it but it it really bothers me coming from someone like quentin tarantino and so that made the a lot of this movie really hard for me to really get into and it's stuff to do with backstory of some of the characters and stuff to do with current story of some of the characters it just it made it very hard for me and so i think that alone just really it it kind of tainted my whole perspective of the film i think there are some things that that he did well and i think that the chemistry especially between dicaprio and pitt was really good and i really liked the way that they played off of each other i thought that that leo did some very interesting things especially in his scenes with julia butters the young girl um but overall, just as a film, this is not something that I felt like I could enjoy. And it's like, if this story, I kept thinking, if this story was being told by someone that was not Tarantino, how would I feel about it? And I just, I think I probably would have liked it better, because I think that some of what happens would have just been handled with more maturity. So, yeah, that's that's my overall feeling about it. I know, Lauren, you didn't see this and don't really plan to, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I will probably get around to seeing it at some point. I have, I mean, I've expressed my severe discomfort with Tarantino in general, but also just with this topic. And I got to say, everything that I've heard about it, positive and negative, has made me go like, I, this is not 
for me. This is not something I want to do. Um, so, yeah, the, the violence against women thing, I will just say, and I'm, I'm saying this not in terms of this particular film, but just in terms of some of his other films, um, is that I, I do agree with you, Karen. I think that he, he, uses, he uses what I would call an excuse to depict violence against women by depicting bad women, right? So women that have been villains, right. being beaten, uh, violated, damaged in some way. And sort of, and there's the sense that he wants the audience to cheer for that. And I'm not comfortable in general with a, particularly with a male filmmaker and the way that he films violence particularly because he has a very fetishistic view of violence generally um essentially giving his audience the excuse and the the um the the license to enjoy a woman's suffering because she's not a nice person or because she's a bad character because she has caused suffering in the past and there's, there are all kinds of layers to that sociological and cinematic that I am incredibly uncomfortable with. So I, I do agree with you. If this film goes into that kind of a territory, which my understanding is that it does, uh, I really don't want to see it. And, and I do have a problem with the defense of that kind of violence. I don't want to put you on the spot, Jazz, but I'm just curious for you, like, how did you view that? Because I know that there are different ways to read what how, how it goes down in the, in the movie. His his portrayal of women. Well, the violence uh, specifically. The vi- I mean, I don't think, and I could be completely wrong, but I, I guess, I, wait, I can't talk about the ending without not ruin it, ruining it, right? Because what he doesn't do is, I guess, make. Oh my god, I'm trying to say this without spoiling. You know, you know what? Let's just go ahead. We'll put a spoiler tag on this. So, okay. you're listening, if you don't want to hear spoilers, skip about two and a half minutes. Okay. So, in terms of the violence, yes, he has his his trademark Tarantino violence scene. And it got to the point where I think Sasha and I were, like, covering our faces. Um, but in terms of against women, I mean, obviously Sharon Tate is, like, the symbol of that violence, like the violence that is, you know, set in Hollywood history. Like, you know, she was murdered nine months pregnant. Lauren, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin it. Um, But, you know, what he did, he didn't make her a casualty of that violence, right? Right. And I don't know. I I mean, yeah, I, I think he didn't, do that and he easily could have gone that route of like being really gratuitous and really violent and just doing going full 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 tarantino but i i liked the symbol that he made her become instead of what he easily could have done and made this another sharon tate murder movie yeah and that i agree with but i i guess for me the the issue that i had and this is revising history i mean in this version sharon tate doesn't get murdered instead the people that are gonna go murder her end up at the house next door because of a bad muffler honestly it's like kind of a lucky break for sharon tate and jc bring and everybody else but what bothered me was now you've got a situation where 
these people haven't done anything, actually. And you've got Brad Pitt smashing a woman's face into a mantle and throwing a can in someone's face. And then a dog biting people's faces off. And it's like, and these are not, these are people that, like, if you know history, you know, like, yeah, they, what they did was really bad. But, but that history now doesn't happen. And also when you couple that with what we already know about Brad Pitt's character, which is earlier in the movie, they show that he murdered his wife. He harpooned her because she was annoying and nagging him. It's like, that's where it's like, this just this weird idea that like, it's okay to be really violent and brutal against women as long as they deserve it. And that was where I really was just totally not okay with it. And I could not get on board. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm actually seeing it again. So it will be interesting to see if it has a, if I, yeah. I mean, if it really, uh, bothers me the second time noticing that she has just decided to join the podcast too um. <laughs> well and I don't I'm not trying to say that I think anybody is wrong for being okay with it it's just that's just that's just where I had problems and that's why I was curious for you how you read those scenes just because I mean I know there are different ways of looking at it that's the great thing about art yeah I mean honestly it didn't bother me because I think overall the whole film for me was one of his best and I think I turned to Sasha at the end of it and was like did you love it she goes yeah and I think we were the few people that came out of there gushing and everybody else just left like you could tell how like okay are we in like a straight is it's just us right it's I think Griffin Schiller as well joined us and like okay so we're like the only people that really loved it which is fine because it was so funny because Sasha asked me she's like did you like it nope and she's like okay then just keeps walking it was really funny so yeah anyway that's in theaters now you're welcome to go watch it i would really like people to tell me what they think and if you uh if you agree with me and see my side or if if there's something that i'm missing about it you know i'd I'd love to hear but don't tell me i'm wrong because i'm not everybody can interpret things how they want (laughs) (laughs) all right well that's gonna finish things up for this week um it's been a great conversation thanks so much jazz for joining us it's been really fun having you here um We'll just kind of give the rundown. You can find the podcast, you know, all the places that you find podcasts. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. We are sometimes occasionally on Facebook, facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. Shoot us an email if you feel like it. We are Citizen Dame Pod at gmail.com. Uh, we also have our website, which Lauren has written some really great stuff about Fantasia Fest. We've also got some, uh, we've got Kristen's official review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and some other things coming. We will be bringing back the five next month when, Lauren, when Kristen comes back from her hiatus. So that is citizendamepod.com. And if you want to support us with dollars, there are a couple different ways to do that. We do have our Zazzle store where you can find some cool merch, zazzle.com slash citizendame. You can send a couple dollars our way without a commitment. That's Ko-Fi, ko-ko-fi.com slash Citizen Dame. And of course, if you'd like to commit to us and make a monthly donation, that is Patreon, patreon.com slash Citizen Dame. We are also individually all over the place. Lauren, where are you? 
I am at LH Business. And Jazz, where can people find and follow you for your delightful tweets and, and full of love? I am at Jazz T. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. So that's it. That's uh, that's all for this week. We will be back next week. And I believe Kristen will be coming back to join us. So that'll be fun to reunite. And um, yeah, we'll see you soon. Bye. I see. Just what kind of pictures do you make, Mr. Shadow? I make the art field. Yes, I've seen a few. They're pretty raw. I mean, French subtitles over a bare bottom doesn't necessarily make it art. Even it's only in the eye of the beholder, mademoiselle. My film are shown right here in your own country. Jennifer, you've posed undraped on the stage. That was before I married Tony. It's up to you. Tony wouldn't know the difference. Well, I would.